Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End, with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode 21 of Inside the West End. We're on Twitter. Follow us at Inside West End. We've got a page on Facebook, Inside the West End Podcast. And if you want to get in contact, then email us inside the West End at gmail.com. Coming up on today's episode, we're about to talk to Newton Faulkner. Woohoo! Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I was on the tube, I was bored listening to whatever was on my iTunes. I put out a tweet saying, can somebody recommend me something good to listen to for a change? And it was Killian Donnelly, actually, from episode two on our podcast that um, replied to my tweet saying, dude, you want to listen to Newton Faulkner by everything he's ever recorded. He's an incredible artist, a completely unique style. You'll love him. I did. I bought all his albums. And my God, is he good. I love his music. I can't believe we're about to talk to him. Yeah, we're both massive fans, as you can hear. Uh, Newton is a, currently appearing in the Green Day musical American Idiot, playing at the Arts Theatre until the 25th of September. This is the first musical he's done. So we met up with him for a chat to hear how that's been going. Before we get to the chat, a massive thank you to everyone who's gone to InsideTheWestEnd.com and donated. As you know, we make this podcast for free. Uh, in fact, it costs Ben and I money to make it. So if you wish to contribute to future episodes, then head to our website, InsideTheWestEnd.com, click on the donate button and follow the link. Also, if you are in the UK and you are an Amazon customer, you can do your shopping via our website. Just click on any of the Amazon adverts. Uh, it takes you to Amazon as normal. Your shopping costs you exactly the same as normal but amazon give us a small kickback as a thank you now we've got a very exciting announcement this week ben morris has only gone and got himself a job yay hooray in the uk and irish tour of the commitments ben mm-hmm. tell us about the role you're playing uh, so i'm going to be the alternate deco so in the commitments it's about a band and deco is the lead singer in the band so two shows a week i will be playing deco the rest of the time i'll be in the ensemble and also understudying the drummers so it's going to be uh, one hell of a tour about nine months in total until may next year uh yeah i'm really excited so if people want to see you on as deco they could maybe follow you on twitter find out what shows you're going to be doing yeah well basically i'll be doing every wednesday night and the midweek matinee sometimes it's a wednesday sometimes it's Thursday and the rest of the time Deco will be played by the awesome awesome Brian Gilligan so yeah pop along one of us will be on I genuinely can't wait to come and see you do it I'm so so excited to hear you sing uh, Try Little Tenderness and Mustang Sally oh man I I can't wait I wish that we could see you in Dublin but you're only doing one show in Dublin I believe yeah um but oh man I'm so excited uh, so go and see Ben and make sure you go and say hello to him at the stage door afterwards he would love to see you we'd lo- love to put a face to our listeners so go uh, yeah. go and bother him <laughs> yeah so the knock on effect for the podcast is that we will be moving to every other week from this week onwards we will be every other week so we will be continuing inside the West End podcast fret ye not anyway after all of that excitement Here's our chat with the absolute legend that is Newton Faulkner. 
Hey, I'm Newton Faulkner, and you're listening to Inside the West End. Newton Faulkner, welcome to Inside the West End. Oh, well, thank you for having me. We're, honestly, we're so excited to have you on here. Um, <laughs> we're massive fans of your music. As I said, as you came in in a really embarrassing yeah. fangirl way, uh, Ben and I are really excited to have you here. Um, you are playing the role of Johnny in yeah. American Idiot. Which is a meaty role. Yeah. This might seem like a big career curveball, but in my research, I have discovered that you a went to Italia Conti stage is, school, yeah. and you previously were in a Green Day tribute band. So pretty much, I mean, we, ne- we were never officially a Green Day tribute band, but we did do the whole of Dookie from the book yeah. in the middle of the stage, all three of us kind of reading it. And at that point, I think we we crossed the line and had to have a word. So how did this come about? I've traced it back because I was kind of when it started, I was like, how did I end up here? <laughs> and I traced it back to I was asked to do the the music for a computer game, which is weird, but that was kind of how it started. So I was I was asked to do that, and then they asked me if I wanted to do a voice for the computer game, and I was like, yes, that's like a massive nerd dream. Um, <laughs> Are you a nerd? Oh, massive nerd. Um, so they, yeah, they sent the script to my house, and I got the script, I was reading through the script, and it was the first script I'd seen for probably about 15 years at that point. And I was reading through it, and I was like, okay, so I've got to fall down a a well, a medium well, a really big well and a really small well. <laughs> and I had to get, I had to improvise on like themes of mopping, like really bizarre. It was, it was such a fun day because I was just in my own studio. I was just sitting there on my own, just being completely mental. Um, and it was for, it was for Abe's Odyssey. So I was I'm one of the voices for that. And after kind of reopening that door in my brain, which had been like, I really hadn't thought about it at all. I'd just been, I'd been so deep into music for so long that I kind of forgot that I even wanted to, to act. And I did, I mean, I was, I did a lot of work as a, as a kid. I did three plays with the Royal Shakespeare Company and stuff. I was kind of really serious and then music completely took over. Yeah, when, when that first kind of script came back in, I was like, oh, I forgot I liked this. <laughs> I forgot how fun this could be. And then, then I started meeting with acting agents and was like, so how would it work? What would be like a logical step? And they all mentioned American Idiot as being just something that makes sense because it, it's music, it's got enough acting to make it kind of enough of a step. And it's also you get to play guitar in it, so that's like in your comfort zone a bit at the same time as being massively out of it. But at this point, I, I didn't realise I had any links to it. I like The way they were talking about it was like a kind of pipe-dreamy thing. It was like, we, you could be an American idiot, possibly, but I don't know how you do it. And then after having all those meetings, Lucas, Lucas Rush, you know, and who I went to school with and hadn't spoken to for 15 years at this point, got back in touch saying, I'm playing St. Jimmy, we need someone to play Johnny, would you be up for it? And offered me the role that everyone had just told me would be the best possible role for me to do. So it was, I just couldn't couldn't say no. So let's rewind a bit, because there's lots of things you mentioned there, which I could could have a whole chat with you about. (laughs) Um, You were at Italia Conti, and you also were a child actor working in the industry with the RSC. Yeah. So where did this start? I guess it started with... Because I was was having... Kind of singing lessons and acting lessons. I think I always knew I wanted to do something in this area, and it was kind of music that kicked off first, really. So, yeah, I've been kind of trained as an actor from when I was really young. Mm-hmm. When I was, did, I did like Stagecoach, which was like the nearest one. There was the Italian Conti Sunday School when I found out I was going to Italian Conti. I mean, it, it was quite bad timing because I got to Italian Conti and then almost immediately got massively into music. 
which bizarrely is the one thing they don't do. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was strange. Um, Do you remember your first performance? Your very earliest, the first time you performed in front of an audience? Even if it was just like, often people say like a church, a, a church nativity. I have a feeling yours is going to be, yeah, it was um, Macbeth at the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> well, what, yeah, what, I'm trying to think what I did first. I probably did, I think it was my, my grandparents' like diamond anniversary they shoved me up on. And I had to, I can't remember what I sang actually at all. Because I think, I think it might have been something I'd written because I, I started writing songs. Almost as soon as I got into playing anything. Do you remember the first song you wrote? I, I mean, yeah, I, I had a go of writing songs. I think I wrote two and then stopped. And I, but I remember the lyrics and the chords and exactly how they go. And they're awful. I do not what's remember yours? the chords. It was, it was called Do You and it was a keyboard song. Oh, what's it go like? Come on, guess the hint. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> Utterly terrible. But it, was, it also made no sense because I think the lyrics were Do you, do you, do you know what you're putting me through? I was like... Hey, like, who was putting me through what? What was going on? Yeah. It sounds like happen. literally nothing. It sounds like something the Beatles wrote, actually. Nothing possibly have happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you're acting. You haven't done it for 15 years. Yeah. Um, How have you found that? It's been really intense. I mean, it's a really intense part, because it covers a huge amount of ground. So I come on, for like, for the first half, I'm quite a kind of cocky kid. And then I gradually kind of deteriorate. Yeah, I mean, there's self-harm there's heroin there's screaming rage there's floods of tears yeah it's the proper deep end so you're suddenly back acting again and it's a completely different environment to i mean for the past 15 years or so it's been music 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 yeah i mean mean, the whole stretch is completely different yeah i mean is that a shock to the system where you're i mean massive shock with your music career, you are up the front of the bus. You are, uh, to to a large extent, the creative director of of, of what you do. Yeah. Whereas yeah, now you're part of a big Pops. picture, which is different, completely different kind of pressure. Yeah. Well, there's one thing when it's you're there and you're there, and the only person you can let down is yourself. And also, the pressure was kind of mounted on in loads of different ways because because I was on tour, I couldn't join the production until kind of halfway through their tour. They all knew exactly what they were doing. And then they all had to come back in for like a whole week just so I could learn what, what I was doing. <laughs> so I felt really guilty about that. And then, yeah, that kind of piled on more pressure because I wasn't like learning with them. I was just trying not to mess it up. Is it nicer to, to have your role within the production and not be responsible for its entirety? Do you know what I mean? I'm not. Or is, is it a shock to the system having a it's, difference? No, it's, it's definitely a shock. And I did I did stick my foot in it a few times. There were people that were like is it okay to do this? And I was like, yeah. And then someone was like, dude, that's not your call. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, sorry, talk to her. Sorry, I'm not used to this. And I did, like, I'm so used to being What like, kind of things are you talking about? Like, Just, like, little things. Like, kind of the guy with the prop would be like, is it okay to put this here? And I'd be like, yeah, of course, that's fine for me. And he was, he was like, no, I wasn't, it's not up to you. It's up to them. I was like, yeah, sorry. Because, like, yeah, I've been, I mean, I'm very much, like, the end of the line in terms of your own stuff. Because yeah. There's no one else. There's no one else to talk to. Yeah. Plus, you've toured for years doing your own material. Yeah. Uh, to an ever-growing hardcore fan base, mm. and you're going and singing someone else's material, which is very well known to a new yeah. audience who might not necessarily. Yeah. This might be the first time they've heard you. Yeah, that that's definitely been a challenge because in terms of if you're writing stuff, you write stuff to suit your own voice. Like you want to work it as hard as you can, but there's certain like there's certain areas where like like Boulevard. If I ever if I ever do it outside of the show, I move it 
in any direction other than the key that it's in because it's right on my bridge and uh, I can really concentrate the whole time whereas if I'm not in the show I can just be like oh I'll take it up or down I don't really mind just anywhere but but there <laughs> so that's been that's been strange but obviously the, like there's a lot of musicians and a lot of like other stuff that works around it so you can't just nudge stuff depending how you feel I mean that's the other thing is I adapt to to crowds a lot for my own stuff and being kind of stuck on something that cannot move like you can't because they're a more chilled audience just like turn everything down a bit yeah yeah <laughs> and it yeah. must be such a head melt yeah. <laughs> like you know but but uh, but at the same time oh, it's, it's not like you've never done this before you do you are rooted in I do, the, you do get I it I do remember it and yeah. I know how it works but then yeah it's all kinds of it's kind of strange little things like monitoring is completely different in, in rock and roll land yeah than it is because you've got in ears you've yeah. got one guy that who's 100% focused on just making sure you sound nice to yourself Whereas in musical theatre, it's almost like an afterthought. It's like, this is first, this is first. you have to just deal with, deal with your stuff. And Rob mentioned a minute ago about, I mean, you have a huge fan base. We're two of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, how have your fans reacted to this kind of career change? All kinds, this, of, yeah, this all kinds of different ways. Some people have been like, yes. Some guys have just been like, what? I don't really understand. <laughs> Dude, some musicals, people, really? <laughs> some people still don't really understand what it is that I'm doing. Because they've just seen like some weird pictures of me and eyeliner. And they're like, I don't really I don't know what he's doing right now. I'll wait for an album and then I'll get back. <laughs> <laughs> At least as a musical, if if you're someone who is a fan of yours and you're not really in, into theatre, it's not really on your radar, mm. at least you've gone into a, a, your first outing since becoming a huge musician in theatre is in quite an accessible piece. It's a yeah. rock musical. It's not yeah, Legally it's, Blonde. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> yeah, I think it is, it is. I think that's why it came up so much in those meetings because it is like it's, it's a logical stepping stone. Mm. And what I do after this, I have no idea yet, but... Yeah, it's been it's been absolutely fascinating, especially kind of working with the director, working through kind of having a character that I have to flesh out, and yeah, all of that stuff. Like I've been reading books on acting, like on the way to the theatre, and then like applying stuff that night. I was, read in a book earlier that day and being like, "Oh, this is cool. I like that." I was gonna I was gonna say some actors kind of settle in. Okay, I found it. This is what I'm gonna do. Are you? Are you? Do you play with it every night? Does it I'm change much? I'm definitely still moving stuff around. I think my favourite thing is that thing of keeping the kind of keeping it alive when you first come on. So there's a couple of scenes. In fact, most scenes kind of start with me either saying a date or saying a thing, and I quite like having a different thing that's happened just before that every night. So there's a scene where I, I'm off for. There's a, I go to the loo to do more drugs. And there's people on stage and then I come back on and kind of internally something different has happened in that toilet every night. I've had fights, I've made really good friends, I've, yeah, it's kind of all kinds of weird stuff that happens. So when you come back on, you're kind of coming back on with a kind of just a subtly different energy and mm. you can do that. I've, yeah, that, I mean, that was something that I blatantly read in a book on the way there. I was like, oh, I'll do that tonight. See what happens. <laughs> and what books? And did it. And I was like, oh, this is, it was Respect for Acting, which someone, it was, yeah, one of the other cast members lent me. Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Stay tuned and we'll be back to the chat in a moment. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We release a new episode every other week. And if you're subscribed, it'll just appear on your device ready for you to listen to. It's very, very easy to subscribe. If you've got an iPhone, just head to the podcast app. You'll see next to the logo of our show a little settings wheel that looks a bit like a cog. Click on that. A few options down. It says subscribe. And the best part is it's completely free. Now back to the chat with Newton Faulkner. 
So I need to ask this as a fan mm-hmm. um, about Newton Faulkner, the musician. Your overall performance of sound is so unique. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, needs to go on YouTube and check you out to see the way you turn a guitar almost into uh, a percussion instrument. You're, yeah, I mean, the, the playing style is just, I mean, it's still developing which, now. Which, as you were talking about, as we were talking about the restrictions of theatre in terms of doing yeah, the same Yeah, and that thing, is one thing I've really had to tone down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, well, yeah, I was... Like I, a, I, I very rarely play in standard tuning. Yeah, yeah. And I very rarely actually strum. Yeah. Like I just don't. I'm finger picky. I'm like tapping and all the percussive stuff. And then yeah, Johnny. John, there's no way Johnny would be able to do that. And where did that come from? And how long did it take you to hone it? That oh, well, it's a whole school of playing. I think the first person I heard was Thomas Lieb, mm. who's uh, an Austrian guy. He lives in LA. Amazing player. Who was really good friends with Eric Roach, and then I was taught by Eric Roach. Oh, straight after Italia Conti, I went to, I went to the ACM, and I was there. I was just amazingly lucky with the tutors that were there when I was there. They were pretty much the best in the world. It was ridiculous who was kicking around. Um, Eric Roach was head of guitar and also one of the leaders of that whole style. So I was, and I, I, like we became we became really good friends. We were kind of working quite closely together. I was taking stuff to him and being like, "Is this cool?" Is that what if I did? Oh, you think that really? This is quite nice. It's hard though. <laughs> and then it's a whole like sub genre of mm. acoustic playing. What it doesn't do very often is cross over into songwriting. I think partly because it's such a niche thing and takes so much time that unless you're kind of naturally inclined to writing as well, you're not going to be able to do both. But that's where the guitar the guitar style kind of crosses over because it's. Because it's quite so visual, people just like it because it doesn't look like anyone else playing guitar. There's... Which is how I discovered you. Yeah, you just... I mean, I had a guy... A guy came up to me in a, in a pub years ago. And he went, hey, dude, can you show my mate how you play guitar? I was like, dude, I don't have a guitar, so no. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> but just move your hands like the way your hands move. And I was like, that is stupid. <laughs> he was like, yeah, but do it. So I was like, what, you want me to just go like this? And I completely took the piss and just went, basically wobbled my hands around like Jennifer. And then he looked at his mate and went, yeah, but for real. And his mate went, wow. (laughs) And I was like, you guys need another drink. (laughs) But it is like, it's because it crosses over. It's that visual thing. It's like a kind of weird hand-based ballet Mm. where everything's going in all directions. And I think if you can do that and sing as well, then I think it it is great fun to watch. I genuinely, the first time I listened to your first album, I thought, it was just lots of layers of different... I didn't realise it was one. I mean, recording it is almost pointless. Yeah. I mean, it, that's... It's a heartbreaking truth that I realised a little while ago is that no one no one understands. No one... Like, unless you see it live, mm. you're not going to get it on a recording unless you already know how it works. Because it could be... Yeah, it could be multi-layers. It could be, could be anything. The line it can't cross... I was, it's actually one of my old tutors. It's one of his, like, catchphrases. It was kind of what... He was anti-tapping. And he said, I'd rather sound like one really good guitarist than two mediocre ones. (laughs) Which I always keep in the back of my head because it is always like I'm I'm extending melodies, I'm extending chords. I very rarely do any kind of technique for technique's sake. It all has like a kind of harmonic purpose. And live I do stuff that has like a visual purpose, so stuff that looks particularly stupid. (laughs) Because that is basically for the people that don't really play guitar. They're like, what what was that? Mm. Whereas guitar people like that was that was just cheeky. I'm gonna do like a string of proper online masterclassy things. Oh really? Yeah, definitely. Oh cool. 
Um, so whilst you're talking, whilst you're talking about you, you mentioned your fourth album. One of our very good friends, a friend of this podcast, is also a musical theatre performer called Niall Sheehy. <laughs> he is a very big fan of yours. In fact, I think he gave you a tour backstage at Wicked a few years yes. ago. Yeah, he um, did. He yeah, was the best day of his life. Yeah, <laughs> he talks about the time because he's such a big fan, and, and he'll be very embarrassed that we've just mentioned that on this interview. However, it was a very good tour. He nailed it. I, I told him that we were interviewing you today, yeah. and I said, "Have you got any questions?" And oh, he's wow, given me he's given me this one. So Why didn't he ask them during the tour? Well, <laughs> yeah, he's probably too starstruck. So he said, you wrote a stunning B-side called Feel and yeah. a bonus track called Sound Waves, which was on a Dulux edition of one of your albums, yeah. I believe. How do you decide what makes the album and what gets kept in the locker for kind of extended editions or B-sides? Annoyingly, it's kind of done by committee right. because there is a label and there is, like, there's a lot of people involved. In terms of album, I, I have like quite a big say. I mean, that was Feel was on an EP, and that was kind of between albums, and I just liked it as a song. I wanted to get it out there. So that's Sound Waves. I really wanted. It was also produced by one of my favourite producers ever. I, I did want that on the album, but there wasn't space because I think the second album had eighteen tracks <laughs> or something ridiculous. So we had to, yeah, we had to kind of hone it down, and it is it's really hard. Do you start looking at things like? This is upbeat. This is slower. This is, and I need a mix of different things. Yeah, or... no, I, I draw. I generally draw like a wavy line of how, like, I decide on the shape of the album, and I draw it. And I'm like, I want it to do this, that, and then that, and then that. And then I want it to tuck in this little. I've even like drawn like little, like beds and that like weird thing, <laughs> and then written the album name, uh, the song names, kind of going around the line and so. Like, like, what you're demo- what he's demonstrating at the moment for those who can't see is kind of like the Alps, yeah. <laughs> basically the uh, yeah, it looks like the Alps. Um, I, I'm really interested. You're, you're an incredibly passionate person and very grounded. I'm interested in where that came from. What are your parents like? What's what was your setup as a, as a child? Uh, well, there's three of us, so I've got a big brother, a little sister, two parents still together, which is rare and quite nice. And the I mean, they were spectacularly supportive. Like, if any of us showed that we liked something, they were like, right, we will help you do this. So, like, my sister was really into tennis. My brother was really into kind of rugby first and kind of sports stuff and then got really into music a bit later. And I, I definitely wanted to do... Music, I think I made my first EP when I was... Yeah, it would have been like 17. Yeah, I mean, they were amazing. Where are you from in the world? Where about... Um, it's kind of Surrey. Nearest landmark is Gatwick Airport, kind of between Rygate and Red Hill and kind of small places. And so when you, you know, went out and, and ended up doing... Uh, you said you did some plays and things when you were younger, mm-hmm. obviously doing music, uh, went to Italia Conti, and then made a transition to focus on, on music. Why, why, why did that become the passion? It was gigs, and it was also... Partly, I mean, I don't know if I had this thought then, but it's definitely a thought now, is that with with music, I can wake up in the morning and think, do you know what, I'm going to do music all day. Nobody can stop me. It's going to do me. I'm going to write, like, four songs. I've got a studio in my house, which is, like, the dream. Like, that's ridiculous. So I can I can wake up and think, I'm just going to, I'm going to do an album today. But did you have that back then? Well, no, this is what, this is the kind of thing. I think this is why it won over acting kind of originally, because you can just do it whenever you feel like it. Whereas acting-wise, you kind of have to wait for someone to tell you what to do. <laughs> Either that, or you just act completely crazy all day and see if anyone notices. <laughs> um, Which has worked well for Ben and I for years, actually. <laughs> like I did, like I, I went out and I, with the accent stuff, I did, like I worked up, I had a goal. Before I went on stage, I wanted to just order food 
and just be American for a bit, just outside, just see if anyone clocked at all. Mm-hmm. I was probably more nerve-wracking than the, the show in some ways, because you're like... Just waiting for someone to punch you in the face for like being really offensive <laughs> to their culture. Where did you do it? Where did you um, take this risk? Not that far. I just, yeah, I was in like Canary Wharf, just like ordering coffee and asking people about phones, just testing out the sound. And also what where, uh, what kind of register he's going to talk in. Because he's younger than me and I quite like the idea of him starting out as young as possible. As the kind of drugs kick in, it kind of gets more haggard. So the, the whole basis for the way that I've made him was basically to try and cause like maximum pain to the people watching it. And I thought if he starts out too aggressive, then people are kind of not going to mind when he gets really messed up. So I kind of made him like aggressive, but with a couple of soft spots. And also I, I, I brought like a certain kind of chunk of comedy that I don't think was there before. It was quite an evil purpose. I was like, actually, if I make him funny there, then when he's sobbing later, you'll feel that even more. So it was kind of this quite calculated <laughs> evil plot I had to mess with people. You're, you're, you're clearly a natural to this world. Like, you're, you're clearly not only a natural, but you're thriving in this environment. I'm having a good time. It, does, this, does this stem from being a theatre fan yourself? I haven't seen... Like, I haven't been to the theatre for so long. Because gig-wise, like, after being on the road for, like, six months, when I get back, the last thing I want to do, to be, to be honest, is go and see anyone. Yeah. Do anything. Yeah. I'm just, like, I'm done. Just, what do you do to switch off, actually? I mean, after I've been away for ages, I don't leave the house. I make all my friends just come to my house. <laughs> which is cruel, but it works. And then eventually build myself back up to kind of going out again. But after you've... After being away for massive, like years at a time, at certain points. So the last, I mean, I've been, my mum kind of always kept an eye on, especially kind of kind of straight plays as well. I was really lucky. She, I saw the lady in the van with Maggie Smith in mm-hmm. it when that was on. I also saw on an average day with, I was, that was Carl McLaughlin and Woody Harrelson. That was incredible, I think. Mm-hmm. That was really good. And I saw Blood Brothers and I saw Les Mis and I saw all, all the, the kind of big jobs. But I don't know what other roles there are that I can play that kind of fit. This one kind of coexists really mm. nicely. And mm. it's kind of like a nice juxtaposition to me being like a tea-drinking Englishman on stage to being like a American heroin addict on the <laughs> other side. So it's it's tricky. I don't know what other roles I could play. Like people have in the, in the cast have been like throwing ideas at me sometimes. Like, what about Mrs. Trunchbull? I was like, oh. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a shock, definitely. <laughs> One of the questions that we like to ask everyone we interview is what's been the hardest moment of your career? I mean, music industry is unbelievably brutal. Like you kind of, you do one album and everyone's like, yeah, you do another. I'm like, no. Like radio's gone up and down a lot because I kind of, I don't really play the pop game. I don't really like any of the games. That's not why I do this. I like making music. If I'm making music that I don't like to try and make money, I think that that's... I think you can hear that. And I think you might get, like, one song that does all right, but I think generally it's... Like, people aren't going to want to see you see it live so much. But then, ironically now, the music industry has taken a turn where there's actually more money to be made in touring than there yeah, is I mean, in sales. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's perfect. Because mm. I, can, I can gig whenever I like. I can go out and gig on my own. I can gig with, like, a band. I've got so many different setups and different ways of doing things, so it works really, really well for, for what I do. But it is like, it's weird. It's kind of gone the same way as a lot of other things, whereas it's, t- it's kind of like the top 2% make 90% of the money and the 
Like, I've, I've had two number one albums. If I had two number one albums 30 years ago, I'd have an island. Mm. <laughs> but it's weird because the whole industry kind of flipped and changed. It's really different. Like, you have to be at the very, very top of the pyramid to make kind of proper money. So everything else is... Everyone else has to really, like, step up their game and find other ways of doing things. But the music industry kind of flip-flopping and changing all the time. And I always kind of go by what people play you songs on in the studio as being kind of like how people are listening to music. And that's been changing relentlessly. I remember when it was I remember when it was YouTube. I remember when it was purely Spotify. And now kind of other things are starting to crop up in studios. Because especially in music studios, I think they're always kind of... They've got their eye quite far down, so things come up really early. Yes, it's so hard to just keep up with what's happening. You've briefly touched on the next question that I'm going to ask, but I feel a duty to ask it as we, again, this is a question we ask every guest we have. And you can take this in the theatre world that you've just entered, or you can take it for the music world. I could do both, we've got time. um, (laughs) Show business. Is it a game that you need to learn how to play? It depends where you want to get to. I think there's certain levels where you need a certain amount of game playing to get to that point, or you can get lucky. But I don't know, luck is a bit of a myth, I think, personally. I think, generally, if you do the work, you do tend to get there. Maybe not immediately, but... I mean, that whole thing about, like, just sitting back and waiting for stuff to happen is never going to work. It might You might have seen it work for one person once, but as a general rule, the harder you work, the better you're going to do. And I think that get, definitely goes for music, especially, like, even if it's not kind of direct kind of success but you'll have a career because people because you're giving people something to work with so yeah definitely for for longevity i think just keep going and if you don't want to play games don't play games just keep doing what you like doing you'll be fine i think that goes for i mean acting wise i don't even know what games there are to play like i've i've seen interviews with kind of michael kane talking about breaking into parties with sean connery and (laughs) borrowing suits and just meeting people and being like well yeah we're really successful actors oh cool i've got i'm doing this thing so you should come to that and basically getting work just with like maximum blank and i just yeah i'm just entering into kind of that land so i have no idea how that works musical theater wise <laughs> just picturing you breaking into somebody's party borrowing their suit and go, yeah, yeah i'm really good at it. you yeah. look like this musician i know <laughs> yeah. he plays the guitar really well no I never heard of him oh god it's just like tinder all over again <laughs> <laughs> uh, our final question is always the same and that is what is the one piece of advice that you would give to anyone who wanted to work inside the west end i think just love it if you love it enough you're fine and you're fine whatever happens I think that's that. Goes, yeah, it goes for music as well. Like, I think if you just love what you do, people will want to see you do it. People will want to work with you because you there's something that you're bringing to the table. You're bringing like this kind of passion, and if you've got passion and you can do the work well, then there's no reason not to hire you. Neil, yeah, that's simple and beautiful advice. Thank you so much for that's taking right, the time pleasure. to talk to us today. Absolutely no amazing. Problem. Amazing. And you've got some tour dates coming up. I saw on your website the Union Chapel in yeah, November. Yeah, I've, which... got, I've got a trick up my sleeve for that. I really, I want to come to it. It's one of my favourite venues. That's beautiful. Oh, man, I can't say. Um, and American Idiot is on until the 25th of yeah. September. Actually, there's a rock-along performance as well. What's a rock-along? So usually it's kind of frowned upon if you sing along with the songs because it's distracting from the people actually singing the songs. But we're doing a rock-along which basically means everyone can just shout along with all the songs. Amazing. That's Rocky Horror Show. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing Matilda tonight with my niece. Oh, okay. And I think there might be a rock along happening. <laughs> That's not being invited. Yeah. I know she's going to be singing along. But anyway. I haven't seen Matilda yet. I really want Oh, uh, mate. Amazing. I've got a five-year-old as well. Amazing. Is that too young or is that about right? No, she's five. Yeah, it's five about right. Tonight, yeah. 
I'll make sure I do it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Newton Faulkner, pretty much Mr. Cool. Uh, Ben and I, as you can probably tell by the highly embarrassing levels of fangirl questions we threw at him, were absolutely over the moon uh, that he came to speak to us. So, Newton, thank you so much for giving us that time. Uh, American Idiot, the Green Day musical. If you want to go and see it, it's on at the Arts Theatre until September the 25th. So don't leave it. Not very long left. Head to the Arts Theatre website to book your tickets. Also, if you want to see Newton Faulkner live, then head to newtonfaulkner.com to see what upcoming gigs he's got. We'd love you to get in contact with us. We're on Twitter, at Inside West End. We would also love you to keep sharing our episodes online or by word of mouth. Both go a really long way, so keep it going. We make this podcast for free. If you've enjoyed it and you want to help us make future episodes, then here's how you can. Next time you shop online with Amazon, visit InsideTheWestEnd.com first. Click on any of the Amazon adverts on our site. It will take you straight to Amazon. Your shopping will cost you exactly the same as normal, but Amazon will give us a small kickback as a thank you. Also on InsideTheWestEnd.com, you'll see a donate button. If you'd like to make a direct contribution, then click on the button and follow the link. That's all for this week. Keep an eye on Twitter at InsideWestEnd to see who's our guest on next week's show. Thanks for listening. 